This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. All these areas make up what you and I know and would refer to as as modern-day Turkey. God the Father knew you, and He chose you long ago, and His Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed Him, and you've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by His great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. These are the the opening words uh, to the uh, first letter from Peter, the first of two letters. And uh, it's these two letters that we're going to be studying and looking at this summer. And I, I'll tell you something, it's kind of funny. I'm, I'm right now, I'm as excited about the end of the series as I, I am the beginning. And I'm always excited about the beginning of a series. But we're going to end this series in August by taking two of the most well-known stories from the Old Testament, the story of David and Goliath. And then on another Sunday, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. We're going to take these two stories and we're going to look at them through the lens of First and Second Peter, which at that time will have been studying all summer long. So I'm telling you, folks, it's an it's an exciting series. To, I think anytime to hear what God. That's thank you. That's my wife. And. Uh, It's always exciting to hear what God wants to say, has to say to you and to me. Oh, yes, to that group of believers there in Turkey. But no, right here to you and to me today in 2018 America. Listen, what, what Peter has for you, what he holds out for you is an opportunity for you to receive praise and glory when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Man, that's, that's an opportunity. I mean, we put our eyes on that day and every day, I mean, like right now today, we live and we make decisions in light of that day. That day is our great opportunity. So tomorrow we have uh, Memorial Day in, in the United States, a day in which obviously we, we want to show gratitude, we want to acknowledge, we want to recognize that all these things we enjoy as Americans come at a cost. There, there, there was a cost to secure them, there, there's a cost to protect them, there's a, a cost to advance them. And, and some of that cost is paid with what we refer to as the ultimate sacrifice. Soldiers whose lives are lost on the, on the field of battle. 1.1 million soldiers since the very first one in the American Revolution. Or to bring it up more modern day, 7,000 soldiers since 2001 
that have fallen in the, in the global war on terrorism. And so we'll have moments like we've already had in our service today, or there'll be parades, the posting of colors, moments of silence, and which I think in all of this activity, we're, we're, we're kind of trying to say thank you, right? Thank you. I, I, I acknowledge what you did. I, I recognize what you did. I, I think maybe in some way to say that what they did was, was worth it. What you gave up is worth it. The, the, the flag, the constitution, the ideals behind those, advancing and protecting, that, that was worth it. Boy, when somebody's given their life, that's a, that's a pretty big deal to say that's worth it, right? But that, and that has been the debate. I mean, since the very first life fell in the American Revolution right up to right now, that's, that's always the debate. Is it worth it? Is there a time when it's not worth it? Is, is there a time where maybe it's too many lives? The cost is becoming too great and, and now it's not worth it. I don't know if you saw, or I imagine a lot of us have kind of been a popular movie this past year, the, the movie Darkest Hour about Winston Churchill. And there's a, a scene there in the movie where he is, he is calling President Roosevelt, F, FDR, and, and he's kind of begging him. For some ships, if you understand the broader context and, and historically what was going on, I mean, ultimately what he's begging President Roosevelt to do, what he's begging America to do is, is to get involved, to get engaged in this battle. And you know, the ideals to protect and advance, those were there. That wasn't the debate. That the evil to be stopped, that was there. That, that wasn't the debate. You know what the debate was? cost of lives. In World War I, you remember me saying just a second ago, in the last 17 years, we've seen 7,000 soldiers fall in battle. So we know what that feels like, what that sounds like on the news, how that's debated, how that's discussed. 7,000 lives in 17 years. And I think we're getting far enough removed from history that it's getting hard to imagine. In World War I, in two years... 115,000 American soldiers fell in two years. And 30 short years later, at the doorstep of World War II, America was saying, I'm not ready to pay that price again. Not not sure we're ready to send our sons and, and daughters again, but... Obviously, on this side of history, we already know how that that debate ended up and where it went. And we did enter the war probably with no concept that, that the price paid in World War I would pale in comparison. In World War II, in four years, 405,000 American soldiers fell. 100,000 soldiers a year. And you know, it didn't stop there, did it? I mean, those are the big wars. Those are the kind of really big, overwhelming numbers that are, that are hard to, to grasp. But obviously, we moved on from the 40s into the 50s and the 60s. And the, every decade brings its conflict. Every decade, we work through debates and, and many times make that decision to send our sons and daughters to a place they will not all come home. And, and we want to say... Tomorrow, it, it was worth it. I, I, for one, believe it was. But, but stop and think about that. 
1.1 million soldiers. Surely that much blood, that much human life has secured something, right? And yet this thing we call America and its ideals is precariously insecure. I mean, folks, there, there can be no America tomorrow. No, not, not like the 24 hours later. Metaphorically, though, yeah, there's, there's no guarantee of, of America, what we know and what we enjoy go, going on forever and ever, only getting better and better. There's, there's no promise. There's, there's nothing like a guarantee of that. So we continue to send soldiers to try to hold on, to try to protect But now if we recognize that there's something here as insecure as it is worth protecting, even making that ultimate sacrifice, then, then would there not be the same readiness to endure, to, to suffer, to even lay down our life if that's what we protected would never get lost? It was eternally secure? Because folks, that's what First and Second Peter are about. They're about you and I being ready to wage war, if you will, ready to fight, if you will. And we're going to define this summer what war and fighting looks like. It's a little bit different than we might normally think. But, but, but if we would recognize, hey, we'll lay down our lives for things that, that we don't even have any guarantee of, then how much more can we be ready to endure, to suffer, and to even lay down our lives for that which is eternally secure? Peter is writing a group of believers that are presently suffering, presently paying a price, seeking to tell them it is worth it. Now this summer, we're going to unwrap what that suffering is. There's a lot of different kinds of suffering. We, we suffer because of disease and sickness. We suffer because of, of famine and, and poverty. We suffer because of injustice. We suffer sometimes because there's just mean people at work, right? <laughs> I mean, there's all kinds of suffering. And you know what? The Bible addresses every one of these kinds. The Bible will tell us a, a, a why. The Bible will tell us where God is, what he's doing, what he will be for us in that. The, the, the Bible addresses and walks through all those different kinds of suffering, but not in First and Second Peter. First and Second Peter is not about all kinds of suffering. It is about one kind of suffering. And it's going to distinguish that for us. And, and so we're going to walk in, we're going to understand what that one kind of suffering is and, and, and what's going on there, why it's happening. And I guess more importantly, how we walk through it. What I want to do today though, is give us a glimpse of why we would even want to look at this. I'll be honest with you without first and second Peter, without the Bible, I don't want to look at suffering. Do you, is there a line for getting rich? Is there a line for being happy? I, I'm not getting in the suffering line. <laughs> Why would I want to look at suffering? Why would I want to look at, at how to come through this in a way that is more than just surviving, by the way? Why would we want to do that? Well, let me show you a couple of passages and, and see what it is that our, our target might be here. Now, when I say a couple of passages, in the next few moments, I'm actually going to throw at you about 
10 or 11 passages. And, and what I'm doing in that is we're just kind of introducing today. We're kind of getting a, a feel. So just kind of consider all these passages kind of like appetizers to get us ready for the main meal this summer. We're going to kind of get a, a feel, a flavor of what we're going to be hearing and, and reading in, in First and Second Peter. But our, our first passage up here, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. Now remember, they're already suffering. He's writing to a real group of people that are going through real suffering. Hey, these trials you're in right now, they're going to show your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is more precious than gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you, it's going to bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Let's look at the next passage. Put all your hope, bank everything on this. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. One more passage. Instead, be very glad. Man, they're suffering, they're losing jobs, they're being attacked, people are losing lives. Hey, be very glad. Be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. Did you catch it? What kept showing up there? What phrase over and over and over when Jesus Christ is revealed to all the world. Folks, that's our target. That's our goal. Our great, great value in this life, our great value in this world is that day that Jesus Christ is revealed to all the world. And if that day is not our great value, If that day is not our great hope, if what I value is today and what I get out of today, we won't, we won't hang on. We, we won't endure. I mean, I mean, the bottom line is it's just too easy to quit. It's just, it's it's easier to lie and to steal and to cheat. It's easier to abandon it. It's easier to not identify with Jesus Christ. It's easier to go the way of the world and shape our lives around the world's word than it is to go God's way and to shape our lives around God's word. It's just easier to go the way of the world. And you want to know the truth of it? It'll pay off too. Not every time, but a whole lot of sin will get you exactly what you want in that moment, in that day, but it'll only last for a moment. It might only last for a day. But when we value that day, we're heading toward a day where, where the payoff is for eternity. The payoff lasts forever. That day is what makes it easier to follow Jesus Christ, whatever our circumstances. Does, does anybody here find it hard to follow Christ? I, I do. Find it hard to follow? I mean, do I find it hard to obey sometimes? No. All the time? Yeah. Do do I find it easy to obey the Lord and love the Lord in some situations and with some people? Well, sure, in all situations. No, that's hard. It's hard to follow Christ. And, And it just gets harder and harder when what I value, what I'm protecting, what I'm fighting for is today. But if I see a greater day, if I see a a bigger day, then it becomes easier. I didn't say easy, right? You understand the difference? 
It becomes easier to do things like be holy because I'm holy, as it says in 1 Peter 1.15. Man, if all I value is today, if all I want is today, holiness, I don't, seems hard. What is the payoff on that? Ah, but if I see, if I see a greater day, it becomes easier. Let's go to our next verse, 1 Peter 1.15. It becomes easier to be holy as he is holy. Or, or as Peter says, to, to not run after desires that wage war against our soul. Man, we have a lot of desires in today. I got desires that will make today fun, desires that will make today happy. But see, here's this craziness in you and I. We will chase things, grab a hold of things, hold tightly and securely to things that will actually wage war against our own well-being, against our own health, against our own happiness. And we'll hold on to it, won't let it go, because it's my desire. Man, to see beyond that, to have the wisdom, how do I do that? You see a greater day. You see a greater day, that a greater day is your target than just today. Let's move on. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Well, why in the world would I do that? Because there's a greater day. I'll, I'll do the good because it's right and the good and, and, and the cost of it doesn't matter because there, there's a greater day that I'm moving toward than, than right now. Love each other. Oh gosh, let's just stop. We don't even have to read the rest of the verse. There's just three words. Just try to grab a hold of those. Love each other. Yeah, there's some that make that easier. But there's a whole lot that make that hard. Why do I really want to understand what love is? Why do I really want to understand how I love everybody? As many, I mean, the stranger, the enemy, the best. Why would I be? Because I see that there's a greater day. And for that greater day, I want to rightly love. For that greater day, I want to understand being tender hearted. For that greater day, humility. Humility is going to be a big word. In First and Second Peter. That's going to be a, a word that kind of has a theme to it as we go through this. Let's look at the next couple verses. Even if you suffer for what is doing right, God will reward you for it. Even if you're insulted for the name of Christ, God's going to bless you for it. Now, now folks, those are neat ideas only if I'm living for a greater day. If all I want is in this life, if all I want is in this day, these, these verses confuse me, if not make me angry. I just end up looking at them saying, well, I don't feel any reward. Well, I don't see any blessing. What, what, when does this great reward happen? Because, <laughs> you know, I just did this and I'm taking it on the chin, Lord. All we're going to see is what we're not getting. Ah, but when I see a greater day... There's a promise, there's a promise, there's a promise. The reward is coming, the blessing is coming. And by the way, I'm not saying the reward and the blessing is only in the greater day. I, I believe there's reward and blessing for right here and right now. But, but folks, honestly, in a broken world, most of the reward, most of the blessing is when that day gets here. I'm living for that day. That day is my promise. That day is my hope. Let's look at some more. Dress yourselves in humility. Why would we do that? Do you know that humility is not natural? It's not a character quality for anybody in this room, for anybody watching online, not, not one of you. You know, there's a lot of real good biblical ideas that some of us kind of have as a, I mean, kindness. Some of us, not all of us, some of us, it's that kind of a character quality of us. We kind of tend to be kind. 
A, a moment ago, there was a verse that talked about being tenderhearted. Some of us, as a character quality, tend to be a little bit more soft-spoken, a little bit more gentle and patient with people. Some of us have that as a, a character quality. Nobody has humility as a character quality. Nobody. Oh, so, no, I know some people. Being soft-spoken is not being humble. Being gentle is not being humble. Thinking you're rotten and ugly and not good at anything is not being humble. Being shy is not being humble. None none of those things have anything at all to do with humility. Humility is a character quality where I become overwhelmed with serving you. Where I become overwhelmed with, with what's best for you. It's like when Christ completely takes me over and I become like him, right? And, and, and we kind of resist that. Humility is going to be, why would I, why would I want to be, who's thinking about me if I'm thinking about you? See, it doesn't make any sense unless I'm living for a greater day. Unless there's a greater day in my life. Supplement, ah, this one's crazy right here. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. You know, when I, when I see these two words right here, it, 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 it makes me realize what a low standard I have for following Christ. I think probably all of us. Because I think in our, our human nature, instead of the two words moral excellence, it, aren't our two words normally good enough? And that normally, ha- I mean, how many times do you have to go to church? I think what I did was good enough last year. I mean, how often do you have to tell the truth? I mostly tell the truth. I think what I've done is mostly good, 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 good enough. I mean, what, what is good enough, folks? Good enough is this bottom shelf standard, and, and we're under it, and we're trying to figure out how do I, how do I just right above it? How, how do I just get right above bad and be good enough? And, and our human nature, not, not just in spiritual things and everything is what's what's good at matter of fact i would say the invention of religion is to help mankind figure out how to be good enough do you know that as you go through this book there's not one place in here not one single place where you will find the word good and enough put together You'll not find one verse that, that directly states or implies, here's what you need to do so that you're good enough. Folks, God, Christ did not go to the cross. Jesus is not building a body of people that are a half an inch above the bottom standard. Man, grabbing a hold of Christ's grace, I strive for moral excellence. And when I'm thinking about how often I go to church, whether I tell the truth about sexual purity, about what I do with money, not good enough is not the question. What is morally excellent? What is the absolutely highest standard possible that I can be moving toward? Why would we do that? Only because there's a better day. Only because there is a bigger day. Only because there is a greater day. It's a real day, right? We believe that? Don't we believe that as churchgoers? We believe there's a great, it's a real day. There is a real day where Jesus Christ is going to be revealed to all the world. And it's going to introduce us to a whole new world. That's the day we're setting our eyes on, right? And, and, it, and if we don't, will abandon Christ. 
Jesus says in John 16, 1, I've said these things to you so you won't abandon your faith. When you read that, I don't know about you, when I, when I read that, my natural tendency is to think, I'll never do that. Is, is yours too? Is Jesus say, I, I, I'm telling you this because I don't want you to ever abandon me. I would never do that. I mean, in it, without even any thought, don't we just want to come back to, I wouldn't do that. You know who else said I wouldn't do that? The guy who wrote these two letters. See, he's not going to talk to us about suffering because of how excellently he's walked through it. It's a guy who failed at it. And I think really what we see in First and Second Peter is a heart that says, I don't want to ever abandon my Savior again. I, I, I don't want to ever abandon him again. You know, it's interesting when you say, I don't want to abandon and we're talking about suffering, we could almost maybe get the feel that, okay, what we're going to be looking at today uh, or this summer is how bad it is out there. And, and you know, we're, we're no longer on top, but, but here's, here's what we do. Je- Je- Jesus has told us how to survive. And so let's just all, let's all get in a little corner and, and love on each other and hug each other because the world's mean and it's bad out there. And boy, there used to be a day and there used to be, but boy, it's bad. Let me tell you something. You're not going to hear one verse of whining and griping in First and Second Peter. You're not going to hear one verse of how bad it is and, and how good it used to be. You're not going to hear one verse of somebody feeling sorry for themselves. What you're going to hear from Peter, folks, is opportunity. The opportunity before you and me. You know, the timing of these letters is really, I find very intriguing historically. The way both letters came out and then what follows. So, so first Peter, the first letter was written in 63 AD. The second one is written in 67 AD. Now, what happens right after these letters? Well, Peter, he's writing to them. He's writing to a people who are already suffering. This isn't about what might could be or what, what could happen. They're already suffering. And Peter has already suffered. If you've, if you've read, if you're familiar with, you might want to do that somewhere this summer. The, 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 the Acts of the Apostles. And especially in that front part of Acts, I mean, Peter is being arrested and tortured, arrested and tortured, arrested and tortured. I mean, he's suffering. He's paying a price. And so after really kind of a lifetime of doing that, he sees these other believers suffering. He wants to give them insight. He wants to give them help. Writes one in 63, writes two in 67, and in 68, he's crucified. I mean, they're, they're paying the price. Not just the author, but the recipients. You know, he writes this first letter to him in 63 AD. What's unique about or what's special about that date is what's going to happen in 64 AD. You know, from the time that Jesus ascended into heaven, the day of Pentecost happens and, and the church is born and it, it begins growing. And you remember Acts 2, I mean, like the first day, the first couple of days, I mean, there's like thousands of people coming to Christ and being baptized and the, the church is flourishing. And, and Rome mostly didn't pay attention to that because Rome looked at Christianity as a sect, S-E-C-T, a sect of Judaism. And Judaism was one of very few legal religions in the Roman Empire. Most religion, when they conquered a people, when they conquered a land, you began to worship the Roman gods and you began to worship Caesar, the emperor, as God. But they struck this deal with Israel. 
They, they struck this deal with Judaism, and, and Ju- Judaism was allowed to, to coexist. And they had had to pay homage to Rome, but they could mostly follow their religion. And, and Rome saw Christianity as a part of the Jews. But then a couple of things happened. One, all this suffering that Christians are feeling is at the hands of the Jews. Now that, that, that first 30 years, not, not entirely, but mostly, is that it's the Jews that are arresting them. It's the Jews that are running them out of, out of towns. It's the Jews that are, are killing them. So Rome's going, well, wait a minute. And the second thing that happened is Christianity wasn't just made up of Jews. Man, as, as Christianity began to spread, it was Jew and Gentile that was coming. And then pretty soon they realized, and hey, Christianity is not a part of Judaism. That fact, coupled with the fact that Nero was just bat crazy. And in 64 AD, he outlawed Christianity. He made it illegal. But he did more than make it illegal because I wasn't being funny. He really was crazy. And he went after, he unleashed the hounds on Christians. And what began to happen as we walk through the rest of the 60s is Christians are being scooped up off the street by the thousands and tens of thousands. They're crucifying Christians thousands at a time. They're taking them to the Roman circus and feeding them to the, to the lions. They are burning them at the stake. So, so he writes this letter in 63 AD. Hey, I know it's hard. Here's how we do this. Here's how we walk through this. And then we realize, you don't even know what hard is. Just give it about 12 months and you're about to find out how bad it can really be. But you know what's interesting? What he gives them, they pick it up. They didn't pick up a survival guide. They picked up a guide to thrive and to live greatly for God. And you know what? They didn't crawl into a church corner and talk about how bad it is. You know what happened from 64 AD into the early 300s? The entire time, in a 250-year time span, the entire time Christianity is illegal. And in that same time, Christianity spread throughout the Roman Empire So that after 250 years, over half the people in the Roman Empire proclaim Jesus Christ as the Son of God and as their Savior and as their Lord. That's what Peter's instructing them. That's the lives. that. That's not a group of people that are uh, hiding and shivering and shaking. Man, they're seeing suffering as their greatest opportunity to live greatly for God and see His kingdom advanced in their own lives, and in their culture and community. That's what we're going to read and what we're going to see in these letters. You know, as I've been preparing uh, First and Second Peter, this past couple of weeks, I I, I took some vacation and I was doing some uh, reading, pleasure reading. I I I didn't read the book because I was studying First and Second Peter. Uh, Well, I actually mostly read it because my wife told me to. But uh, I, I, I read this book just for pleasure. It's called Seeking Allah. Finding Jesus. And, and the subtitle is, and I'll, I'll put the title up in a moment, don't worry. What did he just say? It, seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, A Devout Muslim Encounters Christianity. And, and as I was reading this, what I thought was, it was a very modern day, very current story, and, and just how it kind of wove its way through First and Second Peter. Because you see, Peter is writing a group of people that will suffer. Now, you stop and think about that, folks. That's mostly a foreign idea to us. We know, we know Christian history. 
We, we know the world today. We know that's a reality. But, but for most of us, when we came to Christ, we weighed absolutely nothing about suffering for Him. We weighed the happiness it was going to bring into our lives and what it was going to fix and what it was going to make right. I mean, sometimes in America, we kind of use Christianity as little more than a self-help model. We don't, we don't weigh what it means, what it costs. But when Peter was writing, these books, hey, it's, it's going to cost you. And, and when this, when, when Nabil, the, the young man's name, and, and it is his story as, as a teenager, as a, as a young college student, as he is weighing the, the claims of Christ and the claims of Christianity, he has to weigh suffering. Because for a Muslim to come to Christ, even in America, they're going to pay for it. There's going to be a cost, obviously much more in, in an Islamic state, in an Islamic country. And so as he's weighing that cost, he writes this as a young 20-something. Listen to this. We must embrace Jesus' teaching. Following him often means dividing our families. Now, I would imagine it could happen. We, some of us come out of families kind of, woo, way atheists, don't want anything to do with that, or think you've become a fanatic, you've gone too far. And so, you know, there's the arguments at Thanksgiving and things like that. But I'm, I'm going to suggest, I'm going to assume most of us, our family didn't fall apart when we came to Christ. Not true in the Muslim family. It absolutely will fall apart. You absolutely will be rejected. So, hey, listen, that means dividing our families and potentially being killed for our faith. Anguish and suffering are not just risks of following Jesus. They are the means of following Jesus. Suffering binds us closer to Jesus and opens us to the tangible presence of the whole. Is that what you were thinking when you were 22? We got some 22-year-olds in here. (laughs) Suffering binds us closer to Jesus and opens us to the tangible presence of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, more than anything else. I I think what he just said there is suffering is our greatest opportunity to experience intimacy with the triune Godhead. I think what he's saying there is that suffering is going to be our number one opportunity to have the power and the presence of God flow through our lives. And folks, when you look at what happened to these believers when they picked up these two letters and what historically ended up happening in Rome, I'd say he's right. We're not going to read about a group of believers that are hiding and fearful. You're going to read about a group of believers that pick up the path to God's power and God's presence and seeing his kingdom and his glory advance in and through their lives. Are you ready to suffer? Is an opportunity. It is it is a rally cry, and it's not one in America that we've really had to measure. I mean, most of the thing we deal with is somebody's going to make fun of us at school. I wonder, and I'm not a prophet of doom, I, I, I wonder if we're heading to another day in, in America. I, I, I wonder sometimes if that's going to stay the way, or we're going to have to join the rest of Christendom and start to weigh the cross to saying, yes. To Jesus Christ. But I think what the scripture wants to show us folks. Is, it's, is that suffering isn't a reason to sit and complain about how bad things are. Suffering is an opportunity to know God. And to live for God. And to have God advance through you. Like maybe you've never seen and experienced before. That's what we're going to look at this summer.
couple of things maybe to just kind of prepare and, and, and get ready or even to do throughout the summer. Number one, read First and Second Peter as many times as you can. And here's the good news. They're short. I mean, they're really short. First Peter's five chapters, Second Peter's three chapters. You can probably read them both together in 15, 20 minutes in one, in one sitting. So do that. Read First and Second Peter in one sitting. And then wait a couple of days and then read First Peter in one sitting. And then, and then wait a day and read Second Peter in one sitting. And, and then maybe take eight days and read a chapter a day. Re- read it as many different ways. Approach it as many different ways as you can. Maybe try to read it like about ten times. Let it really begin. I mean, have First and Second Peter in your heart and mind. Let it just kind of really marinate over you all, all summer long. And if you do number one, number two will be really easy. Pick two, three, four verses that you're going to memorize. I I don't know how many of us do the whole scripture memory thing, but hey, maybe this summer, let's take a shot at it, right? And, and, and pick, and let me tell you something. If you read first and second Peter, you are, I, this is a money back guarantee. I'll get, I'll return cash. Now you, you got to come out there and give me cash for me to return it to you, right? <laughs> money back guarantee. If you read first and second Peter, you absolutely, you, you will have no problem picking three verses. You'll have a problem limiting yourself to three verses that you don't read and say, man, I, I want to be able to grab a hold of that whether I've got a Bible or not. I, I want to be able to reach that and have that word, have that message in my heart and mind, in my life every single day. That, that's an absolute promise. Peter is just going to give us that kind of stuff. And, and then number three, I do want to encourage you. Uh, again, I just think it's a neat, very uh, personal illustration of, of a life right here and right now and, and how they come to Christ, how they weigh that, that really kind of weaves, like I said, really well into, into first and second Peter. So here's the, the title and, and, and the author here. By the way, this isn't like some religious book that we found in the dark tombs of a library somewhere. This is a New York Times bestseller. Now, this thing is, this thing is running and, and, and people are gobbling it up. It's a very good read of a neighbor. Uh, he, he, most of his life grew up in Virginia Beach, graduated from Old Dominion, uh, university. So somebody reading, I kind of feel like you know him, right? He lives nearby, but, uh, and he has passed. He's, he's not alive anymore, but it's a very, very current and, uh, recent story. And what you'll find in it, uh, and I, I don't know how many of you have, I've studied Islam and I, I, I really, it really helped me understand some things I had not grasped before. You'll get some keen insight to the Islamic mind, to the Islamic family. One thing I, was, I probably really understood more is how offensive they find Christianity. It's, it's not that they, oh, I disagree with that or I believe this. There, there are the, the key elements of the Christian faith. They're actually offended by and and you come to understand that but probably the most exciting thing you you get in here is you realize how defensible the christian faith is how defensible is in logic how defensible is with historical evidence like no other religion and and he really i mean he sets out to prove uh that that the quran and islam is far and away a more defensible religion than christianity and you'll have to read the story to find out what happens. So great read. I, I, I encourage you to do that. Folks, you know, suffering, we don't think of the word opportunity. If I could just leave you with that one word today, what we're going to study this summer wants to hold out to you the word opportunity, something to seize, to be ready for, to stand, not, not to run and hide from. Amen.
Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you speak, you write, you give us what we need wherever we are. God, you're amazing. I know this summer you're going to use First and Second Peter to speak all throughout this room. And this room is so different. Man, we're, uh, some of us are rich and some of us are poor and some of us are healthy and some are unhealthy. Some are, some are experiencing some great news and, it, and it's just coming to fruition and everything's just turning up roses. And man, Lord, there's some of us in here right now maybe really going through some hard and difficult times. Lord, in this room, we're all over the place in, in what we think about you. There's people in here who love you with all their heart and are, and are following so closely to you. There's, there's others that want to but are really struggling at it. Lord, there's people in here, people online, don't even know if they believe in you. And you have the love, you have the ability, you have the power, you have the wisdom to speak into every one of these lives what is right and good and perfect. And you'll use these letters to do that. And I, and I pray for each one of us, God, that we will see and hear you and move and speak in our lives. God, bless what we're going to give you this summer in our time and our attention to these letters. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.